Hello and welcome to the O&M Stockroom. We're your hosts, Brian McGarry. And Ken O'Malley. Tonight is episode 17 of Complimentary Cinema. If you are new to the channel, Complimentary Cinema is a program where we review and discuss films that you can watch for free that are available on YouTube. Be warned that we discuss these films in detail, so consider this a full spoiler alert. So uh, today was uh, my turn to uh, pick a film, and uh, we happened upon The Time Machine from 2002, starring Guy Pearce. Uh, basic rule of thumb, if you're new to the channel and how we pick these films, uh, basically we just go and look at the free YouTube uh, films and see what we have not seen before that might look remotely interesting. And here we are. Yes, this was a movie that I believe is on both of our radars at some point in time. Um, but for some whatever reason, neither of us had uh, seen it at the time. I'm a big Guy Pierce fan. Um, I first saw him in Memento, I think, like a lot of people did back in the day. And then in 2001, that was a huge, huge, well, not a huge hit, but it was a pretty big hit when it came out. It was uh, one of those slow burner films that came out and it just was uh, kept going and going and going. And people kept going to the theater to check it out. And that put Guy Pierce on a lot of people's uh, radar. And for me, at right about the time I saw that, I also picked up uh, L.A. Confidential and Ravenous and loved those movies as well. So I became a, a big fan of his work pretty quick. And I always saw this movie floating around, you know, first at like Fred Meyer back in Oregon in the uh, the movie section, and then later at Blockbuster. And I just, the poster just always looked so stupid that I just didn't care. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, 19 years later and uh, let's do it, you know. Absolutely. So uh, let's see this. uh Basically, it's this book. Okay, well, the film is loosely based on the H.G. Wells book, The Time Machine. Loosely, uh, you know, they do take some creative liberties here, but also I have not read the original book, so I don't have that to compare it with. You can definitely tell. uh, I'm I'm assuming some of the older stuff may be closer to the original as far as the original timeline kind of stuff. Um, I would assume. But I don't know that for sure. Yeah. Who can say, except those who actually have read the book, which I would actually like to do at some point. I do like uh, War of the Worlds and uh, The Invisible Man. You know, those are good good ones. I'm sure this one would be great, too. But, uh, yeah, so written by H.G. Wells and then David Duncan and John Logan, you know, did some uh, script updating, so to speak. And directed by Simon Wells, who apparently is the great-great-grandson of the uh, the original author. So that's kind of an interesting little tie-in. And uh, our little cast of characters here, and I say little, I mean, because there's a ah, there is a whole bunch of people in this movie. Yeah, there, a it, lot of bit actors, and as you would find in time travel movies, um, where you're going to different times, you have like kind of a full cast in each timeline. A little bit. We don't quite get that here, but you get a you get a good taste of it. Um, but some of the uh, the more notable ones, so you have Guy Pierce as Alexander Hardigan, the man who invents the time machine. Uh, Mark Addy as David Philby, who is the closest thing that uh, Alexander would have to a friend. Kind of a sidekick character. Yeah, and then there was uh, Felidia Law, who was Mrs. Watch, uh, Mrs. Watchit, basically the amazing English uh, sassy housekeeper of Alexander. And then you have Sienna Guillory as Emma. And then you have just a whole bunch of random people. And then you get to Orlando Orlando Jones as Vox, a holographic librarian. And uh, our other last two uh, major characters, we have uh, Samantha Mumba as Mara and Jeremy Irons as uh, Uber Morlock mm-hmm. is how he's credited on IMDb. The leader. The leader of who? We'll get there. So... Uh, why don't you give us a uh, nice little uh, plot summary there, Ken? So this story is about an inventor uh, who is interested in pretty much any kind of technology and inventions. So he, you know, it's mentioned, uh, he, he runs into someone who is in a, in a horseless carriage at the beginning of the film who is having some technical problems. Um, they show in his laboratory, he has a whole bunch of different inventions and uh, they're kind of like worthless. They're not like... You know, they're, they're curiosities, not really inventions that are, are going to 
actually result in anything. He has a lot of thought experiments in his laboratory. So he's happy with that and just tinkering and figuring stuff out. But it turns out he has a, a, a lady in his life that he wants to marry. So the, the beginning of the film is him kind of procrastinating meeting with her and just getting involved in his work where he's almost going to forget that this appointment, he's going to forget the flowers. He's supposed to bring flowers. And it's just the story of, you know, this one day where he has to go meet her at the park. And that's kind of the beginning of the movie. So this is set in the 18 late 1800s in New York. And, um, that's where we're at at the beginning of, of the film when we meet the, the main character. Well, so, so they meet for, uh, so he meets Emma, like, you know, in the park in New York, I, I, presumably Central Park or something similar. Yeah. You know, she's doing some ice skating and, you know, she asks where the flowers are. He doesn't know where the flowers are. What flowers? He forgot the flowers because he's kind of an absent-minded professor and literally a professor. And, uh, you know, he's like, hey, I need to talk to you. You know, can we go walk through the park? And, you know, she, Emma, his 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 lady expresses some concern about his, his well-being. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm actually very unwell. And the only thing that might possibly make me feel better is if you were to marry me and spend the rest of your life with me. And he, he fumbles through a very, uh, a very cringy uh, proposal. And she accepts, of course, because, you know, she's gracious and loving and, and wonderful. And she right, accepts him the way he is, the way he is, which is, you know, he's really just a hot, cringy mess. Yes. At this point in the film and everything, you know, they embrace, they're having a great old time. And then a, a guy just has to come along and try to mug him. And the mugging does not go well. It leads to Emma's death. Yep. Accidental. Uh, you know, they tussle a bit and she ends up shot. Uh, very unfortunate and very traumatizing and dev- dev- uh, devastating for Alexander who spends the next presumably months or even years Locked away in his home, working on his uh, his next project, you know, really shutting out the world. So his theory is that he can stop the original mugging from happening if he can put all of his know-how together and you know just all these calculations and physics and stuff to come up with a time machine. And he's going to go back in time and he's going to stop the mugging from ever happening, and then everything's going to be okay. Sounds like a great plan. So that's his plan. He, he, like you said, he devotes his entire life not going outside, you know, to do anything, not seeing the outside world for basically years. Um, and this culminates in him actually building a time machine that functions. And, uh, yeah, so he goes back, uh, to the night in question, which was in 1899 and he's, he's early for his original appointment with Emma and he, you know, intercepts her and he's, you know, you can tell this is a grief-stricken man just finally seeing the great love of his life once more. And he, he, He's in such complete shock, he can hardly even, uh, you know, just have a normal conversation. Yeah, he can, he can barely talk to her, but, you know, he manages a little better than he did the first time when he was doing the proposal. But instead of proposing to her again and trying to recreate that moment, he gets her out of the park and tries to get her back into the city and get her away from where that, that potential danger was. And he... Uh, is walking with her in the in the city and she's asked well what about my flowers oh there's a flower shop so he goes to run to run to get the flowers and right then and there i'm like oh no oh no like like what horrible calamity is going to take place he goes in to buy flowers and lo and behold she is completely run over by a carriage and just just wasted by the earlier horseless carriage we saw that's malfunctioning yes and he's, you know, and obviously, you know, he's traumatized all over again. And he's sitting there, like, I, I guess at the police station. And his friend uh, Philby comes along and tries to console him. And he's just sitting there on this bench just thinking, why can't I stop her death? Why can't I change it? And you get the feeling they don't, like, show it. But you get the feeling, like, he's tried more than once. Or or maybe just in his thoughts, he's like, this is going to keep happening. Like, he's extrapolating. It, it could go either way. Yeah, it can go either way, which I, I, I kind of like that they left just a little ambiguity there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's really he's really wrestling over, you know, how can I? Why can I not? Why can I not change this thing that's happening? So 
he ultimately decides that the only way to find the answer is he can't find it in the past because he keeps going into the past and running into the same thing. Perhaps the answer lies in the future. Right. So his question is, why can't he change the past? And that's what he needs to figure out. So it's, it's definitely more of a, a philosophical pursuit. He wants to try to find just answers um, from maybe a, a, a point in time in which we've advanced further and figured things out a little better. So yeah, so he goes ahead. He ends up in uh, May of 2030, a wondrous year, which is way more optimistic and shiny and sparkly than our present world. But you never know. Maybe we'll get there in the end. And he ends up uh, going to a library with uh, holographic librarians. And uh, in this case, uh, named Vox, played by Orlando Jones. And he's trying to find information on practical applications of time travel. And he's laughed off even in that year by the holographic uh, librarian, which appears to have sentient AI. Like it's not just a program interface. Like it actually functions as though it can think for itself and and uh, make judgments and determinations on its own, which I thought was a nice touch. Mm-hmm. So m- more like an actual living being than just a hologram. Right. It's also, I mean, it's also basically a database. They say it's connected to the whole world and, you know, they all share information. And uh, yeah, it definitely like it makes recommendations and it talks to people and it has a personality. And, you know, they, they talk a little bit and he ends up basically getting laughed out the door. And so he uh, goes back to his machine and he goes ahead a few more years. I skipped an important part, though. When he goes into the future in 2030, he sees a big advertisement for the future is now. And they talk about detonating nuclear weapons on the moon to create underground living spaces. And they had that great scene that, that we liked uh, when the time was changing. They zoomed out and you could see because uh, there was like the, the satellite and the space station, then a shuttle going to mm-hmm. the moon, you know, so it was all kind of like one big shot um, leading into that. That was a great shot. More on that later. It was like the time change, time travel. Yes. But it's, so when he goes, when he's in, when he shows up for his first time travel in the future, he sees that advertisement for, you know, lunar, lunar colonization. When he's done at the library, he skips ahead a few more years to find the world in some sizable chaos. And in his few moments in the, in that, that year, 2037, he finds out that, Oh, the, the people uh, basically knocked the moon out of orbit. Yeah. They, the, with its, with their nuclear weapons. The explosion was too big. It, it blew the moon apart instead of just creating space in it. And, uh, and now there are chunks of it flying into the atmosphere or, you know, into the city and uh everything there, there's like some kind of military group evacuating people and they're like gonna arrest him and it's b- very chaotic martial law pandemonium you name it yeah everyone has evacuation zones and you know basically it's the apocalypse you know like there's there's debris bombarding the plant planet all over you know just a bad time you know he ends up uh you know flying but you know he manages to escape these military police and gets back into his machine and he tries to go further into the future, but instead of just going a little further into the future, he gets he gets knocked out from the commotion, and he goes eight hundred thousand years into the future, not just a, f- a few years, a few decades, but literally hundreds of millennia. And uh, and you can see the time pass. They do like the whole like geo sculpting, you know, like rivers carving out and and plants all growing, snow coming and leaving, and. Um, a lot of wonderful changes there. Yeah. And he, uh, he, I can't remember, does he come to in the in the craft or does he come to? Uh, when he comes to, it's the, the native people find him. The LOI or LOA. I'm not sure how they're. So he's he's unconscious when they find him and they kind of nurse him back to health. Some native, so the natives of the, you know, 800,000th millennia, you know, find him and they, they take him in, they nurse him back to health a few days later, he finally wakes up, and uh, they're very interesting, like uh, tree people. But they kind of like live on the cliff's edge of a river or canyon's edge. I'm not. How would you? Yeah, however, you would it, say that it basically is like the Hudson River, 
but you know, hundreds of thousands of years in the future, it's become a canyon. Yeah, yeah, okay. I don't think that'd be enough geological time though for that much uh, that much erosion. Probably not. Definitely not. But it's a nice it's a nice look. It's a nice visual. And they're kind of living in these cool like bamboo. Oh, and the fact that there's a lot of bamboo in this mm. place because this is supposedly still New York, just far in the future. Climate change. Climate change. Yeah, I, I, I guess. You know. Anyway, they look pretty cozy. You know, they've got like these nice little canoes. They've got lots of bamboo, and apparently they can magically. Some of them can magically speak English. Because they have collected all of these stone English written fragments and have kind of uh, brought them together into a little ceremonial place. So as he's getting to know these people, you know, a couple of them speak English fairly fluently. The rest know a little bit because apparently they all learn when they're very young. And, you know, he, you know, uh, Alexander is able to look in the sky and see what's left of the moon. You know, just a kind of a shattered mess up in the sky and. He kind of notices there's no old people anywhere. Then he asks, you know, where are all the old people? You know, like, oh, they, they have gone from here. Yeah. It's like, oh, you mean they're dead? You know, like all of them? And like, oh, we don't talk about it. Yeah. And which the, is kind of odd. And the people, like, they, they, they live on the side of the cliff and under it is the river. So they, they go away places on the boats and then they bring the boats up at night for safety. A very, you know, not only that, but it all, you know, it's also great, like, you know, in a jam, if you want to get out of those huts, it's good to have them nearby so you can lower yourself into them and get down. So, I mean, there is, there is that, there is some practical use there. So, uh, after a little while, you know, uh, Mara, the, the main woman who finds him and takes care of him, takes him on an outing to like a wind farm. So shortly after he's recovered, uh, he, he's sleeping at night and he has this horrible dream in the jungle and he sees like this uh, ghostly white face and pale blue eyes and this uh, like metallic, angry looking structure. And he wakes up from this, this nightmare and he finds out that this little boy, uh, Mara's son or brother, uh, has, has had Mara being the one who's taking care of him. And he finds out that, oh, they all have this dream. So it's an interesting thing. So they all have, you know, all the old people are gone. They simply leave from here after a while. They all have this, you know, peculiar nightmare, but they don't talk about it. And presumably the next day, uh, Mara takes them to a wind farm. Looks like where they do some fishing and do some other things there. And... That's also where his uh, time machine is. And Mara asks him, oh, is it still working? Is it good? Hey, can you use it to, you know, take the boy and get out of here? And he's like, oh, well, why would I want to do that? And she's like, just please leave. And then they get attacked by. I don't know what they're called. They're called the Morlocks. The Morlocks. The Morlocks. Because they're from this universe's version of Mordor. Yes. Essentially, you have a great underground area with a caste system with uh, the intellectual aristocracy. And then you have the, the more orcish fellows, the laborers, the laborers, the, the muscles, hunters. the very ape and dog like hunters. And then you have, you have these like weird almost kind of skeletorish looking ones mm -hmm. that just shoot poison arrows into people. Mm -hmm. Those are the three that I could see. Yeah. So anyways, as it goes, you know, they, they attack this tribe of, of people. They take a few guy Pierce demands, sorry, Alexander demands to know like, why don't you fight back? Why don't we do anything about it? Apparently in the future, no humans have any balls left. So they just kind of stand around and just, you know, piss themselves until they're taken by the Morlocks. And they they even say, like, uh, if you fight, they take you first. So, that they, you know, they're just completely scared and they have no recourse at all. Yeah, no no weapons or anything, really. You know, I mean, they fish. Do they never use fishing spears? But, I mean, yeah, so they really, uh, they really have been, you know, trained to just not resist and not fight. But Guy Pierce just found another woman that he likes, and there's no way... This is going to happen to him again twice in the same film. So he's on a mission to go rescue her, which indeed he does. And, you know, and in the course of things, he realizes, you know, the caste system and he finds the 
the leader of this particular group, the Uber Morlock, uh, played by Jeremy Irons, who, so I, 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 he had a very interesting look. So he's like deathly pale, mm-hmm. super long, flowy, silvery hair, long fingernails. He's like a very gothic, flamboyant Vigo of Carpathia from Ghostbusters 2. That's what I kept uh, thinking of. It reminded me kind of like vampire. You know what I mean? Like it's almost vampire look. I, I normally I would agree with you, but it was the hair that did it though. The hair, like the the rest of the look said vampire, but the hair said Vigo mm-hmm. of Carpathia. Vigo the Destroyer. Yeah. You know, just uh, anyway, it was a, it was a, it was an interesting look. His other interesting feature was that his brain was growing down his spine, so he had like brain wrinkles yes. on the top of going down his back. Yeah, a very strange, very strange thing it was and anyway so the uber morlock you know explains how eight hundred thousand years ago when the moon was uh basically destroyed how it um you know you know the earth couldn't sur- support the human race so a few managed to survive above the surface and some others survived underneath and those that stayed eventually evolved to be able to be unable to deal with the sunlight and then eventually when they decided that they couldn't return to the surface, that they would breed themselves into casts. I don't know how quite they uh, they quite reached that conclusion, but there you go. Well, part of it too is that this this particular guy, his cast, developed this you know super intellectual ability where they can actually control other people, and uh, they have you know su- kind of weird superpowers. So you know he has like. He, he kind of force chokes him or whatever at one point. He, you know, he can control. He's, he's the one that's making the dreams. Yeah. Which that would, people are experiencing. Which gives some, uh, gives you a little evidence, a little bit of evidence to uh, assume that maybe they don't fight back because he's mentally paralyzed them in that regard. Right. That's where Guy Pierce, perhaps, sorry, Alexander is perhaps uh, immune to that effect at that point. Hmm. Yeah, but even so, like uh, the Uber Morlock, you know, he can like see into Alexander's mind and know why he's there, that he built the time machine, that he lost Emma. And sort of just before the climax, he basically reveals the answer to uh, Alexander about why he can't, why can't he save Emma's life? So uh, it's, it's, it's not possible. It's not. Why is it not possible? I don't know. It's not. <laughs> So it ends up being not possible because if she hadn't died, he never would have invented the time machine. Right. And he can't be there and have tried all those other things with without the time machine. So it's that's the paradox. Do you know why? I don't remember the answer to what you're asking. Were me. you just glazed over because at that point? It didn't matter. <laughs> I suppose by that by that point in the film it definitely doesn't seem to because the the real the real treasure was the friendship we made along the way. Was that it? At that point? Yeah. So I I I was completely disinterested in the actual answer that he was going to find. But, you know, it was nice that the ba- the the villain our, our our Uber guy had a answer for him and basically was like going to send him back like like here's your time machine, get back on it, go back to where you're from. Like there is no there's no hope for you in the future, so just go back to where you're from and live your life. Yeah. Which was very, uh, very benevolent of him. It was an interesting take, for sure. Which, you know, you wouldn't normally expect from a guy who's like hunting the surface humans as livestock. Mm-hmm. But there you go. And uh, Guy Pierce uh, doesn't quite take him up on that. He looks like he's about to go, but then he uh, kind of starts a fight with the Uber Morlock and ends up killing him. Well, that's, what, that's, the, other th- that's the interesting part of that, is that uh, the Uber Morlock says... You are consumed with the what if, like the what if is what will, what will take you down because the what if doesn't matter, and so on his way out, he he's you know, Alexander basically if. says like you forgot I'm the what if guy, and I and then he try like tries to drag it drag him into the machine with him as he turns it on, to you know, because uh, he knows that if if something gets stuck halfway between it ages because he's it happened earlier in the movie. So this is an, another kind of callback to that. 
Yeah, so earlier in the film, he had a little locket with Emma's picture on it. He accidentally dropped it, and he he watched it decay and then turned to dust. Yeah, and it, his hand started kind of getting hurt, so he had yeah. to pull it back in. He couldn't reach out for it. So he's got a hand that's older than the rest of them, too. That's true. Just think about that. That's true. So anyway, he basically does the whole, does after a, a tussle with the Uber Morlock, and I'm going to say that every chance I get, Uber Morlock, uh, he ends up uh, getting him half, you know, halfway out of this like time temporal displacement bubble. And, you know, he ages into a skeleton and then vanishes. And Alexander continues to go farther and farther and farther into the future. And then when he stops, he sees a world completely overrun by Morlocks. And everything on the surface is gone. It's just it's just all burnt, and there's lots of angry metal skulls everywhere and fires and what looks like groups of slaves. And it just reminded me, again, of Lord of the Rings when they have that dream about what will happen to the Shire if uh, if Sauron rin- wins mm-hmm. and uh, gets that the one ring of power. Uh, basically, that's, that's what my mind went to. So he decides, eh, we're not going to do that. And then he goes way back in time and saves Mara, uses his time machine to destroy the Morlock colony, which you get the impression that that was the Morlock colony mm-hmm. or it was, you know, near all the other ones. So basically he wipes out the Morlocks. Yep. Saves the human race. They can start fresh. They can start fresh. They, they have, have they, they have, have the holographic librarian that somehow magically, inexplicably, is working eight hundred thousand years from now. It's the only one that survived. The only one that survived all around the world. Isn't that kind of amazing? Yep. Like what's its power source? Like plot, unobtainium? Plot armor. Plot armor? So yeah, so that's basically that's basically your movie. So he he ends up in the far distant future, like with a new hot girlfriend and a surrogate son. Surrogate son, and he he he's he's a teacher for a new generation. Yeah, and you know the 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 things he learned along the way, now he can pass on to them. Like don't build the time machine. Yes, or if somebody's mugging you, maybe just give them what you want, what they want, so uh, they don't shoot your fiance. It's just a ring. It's just a ring. Why'd you do that? So yeah, so that's the that's the synopsis for that one. I think we covered pretty much every pertinent detail. Well, let's pick this apart a little bit. Yeah. So. So first of all, you just alluded to it just a little while ago, but I wanted to wait to talk till afterwards. But this is kind of two movies married together. It is. So this is a science fiction movie. Yes. About time travel. Yes. But then it becomes a fantasy movie. It totally becomes a weird fantasy movie. Absolutely. So we, we drop directly into like a philosophical kind of futuristic human Lord of the Rings. Yes. Like for real. Yes. And then we stay there yes. pretty much with just a little bit of this. The science fiction comes back uh, with the time machine to help him out. But it's just a plot device, you know, and it's yeah, like, like uh, the beginning of this film was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I really liked the setup. I really liked the buildup. The way that they dressed the sets was great. I mean, all the costuming was amazing. I mean, it was really well done. The first, the first act, you know, even first two acts really. And, you know, the first time he travels into the future, it's like, oh, you know, this is going to be exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, you get, and I wanted to save this conversation because we, you talked about it a little bit, but when they, when he does that first big leap from Victorian New York to the, you know, early mid 21st century, that really is one of the best scenes in the whole film Yeah, where you see the whole city transform over, you know, close to century and a half. Yep. It's great. You see and the then, buildings coming down, going up the, you know, all the different transportation methods coming into effect and planes flying over and then, you know, jumbo jets and yeah, the whole transformation into the modern world. And then you see a, you know, and what's great too is from his vantage point, uh, what I really liked is, so he's kind of like in this weird energy bubble, but he can still see things change around him. Uh, just at a, a you know, fantastically increased rate. And I thought that was great. And, you know, you see mannequins, you know, on a, in a corner shop across from him, change clothing and styles. And, you know, that, that was a really great effect. And I love that. And yeah, he has kind of a little eyebrow raise moment when like the skirts are getting shorter and shorter. And in shorter. The fashion. Yeah. And, uh, 
you know, so he ends up in the, you know, the, this bright sunny future and he's like, oh, well, I can finally get my answer. You know, which he doesn't, you know, then he goes back and, you know, forward in time again. And it's like the apocalypse. And then he ends up, you know, he, so he ends up like in this uh, fantasy land is just how I can, how I call it, you know, this, you know, far flung future New York, which, you know, is just basically a wilderness now. And, you, you know, you, you mentioned this when we were, you know, watching the film, it's like, we didn't expect him to stay there. Yeah. I was waiting for more time travel to happen, but it didn't happen. That's just where we, where we ended up and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But from that point on, when he ends up in fantasy world, like uh, the 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 grounding is gone. I think the reality of the film. They bring it back a little bit right at the very end, just to kind of tie it in. But it's a little, it's not enough. And I think that's where the problem is: is they needed a little more time travel, because it almost feels like he should have brought the hench the sidekick guy along for some of the adventure and then sent him back at the end so that he could have brought, you know, not that he could change anything, but just that he could bring the, like his philosophy back. Yeah. Or, you know what I'm saying? His kind of like renewed hope back. But instead we have just a spiritual, um, well, he's in a better place or, you know, wherever he went, he's better off, you know, but they, they're just left kind of wondering and just honoring his legacy instead of, like they didn't make it a real connection. Yeah, I don't know if that's if that makes sense. It's a, yeah, it, it does. It, you know, so I mean, it's definitely a loose thread there. You know, but again, I I I really would have to read the actual book. Like it would have been cool you know? though if he would have swung swung around just to pick his mate up. Like I need or your something. help or yeah. something. Like you know, I mean, like you know, but at the same time, it's like you know when you think about like Back to the Future Three. Mm. You know, yeah, when Doc Brown comes back in the train. Mm-hmm. You know, I, even that was, that was heartwarming, but also kind of, eh, you know, in, in its way. I don't know. I, I, I could tell by the look on your face, you definitely disagree. I love the hell out of that movie. I but- love the hell out of all three of those movies. <laughs> but my point is like, I think that kind of return to be like, oh, Hey everyone. I don't, I don't know. I'm not that saying worked that here. I'm not, that's, I think that's what could have fit in with the movie though. It's not the like, oh, Hey everyone. It's like, I, I came back to get this one person because I desperately needed him for whatever plot reason. Sure. And then at the end of the movie, he can go back before the time machine's destroyed, you know, to just kind of complete that loop of connection to the original timeline. I mean, the way they did it, it was, it was a way, but they didn't actually loop it back around. Like we just have the character, like the characters from the beginning, like, Oh, well, I guess he's in an okay place. I just love how like so I love and like they knew they needed to get back to that. Like they knew the filmmakers definitely did. They needed to get back to that, and that's the only way they could come come up with. the The amazing thing to me too, which I found really amusing, it's like you know in that final scene when you see his maid and his friend, and they're like, "Oh, he's been gone a week," and he's like, "Hey, you know my my wife and I need a need a housekeeper. Are you interested?" And she was like, "Oh, just until the master returns." The guy's gone one week and they're basically like, he's in a better place. Godspeed. And can I hire your services? Yeah. Well, they're, they have given up on him. See, I was okay with that because he would have had at that point, like once the machinery was gone, I'm assuming his friend could have looked through his paperwork or like, you know, seen the pictures or like kind of got an idea of what happened. I don't feel like his friend ever had the vaguest idea what he was up to. And he, he even asks a couple of times in the film, like, what the hell? What are you working on? He he doesn't know. He's This is like just a, a very average guy who was completely out of his depth compared to Alexander. To the point that Alexander even makes, makes fun of the guy's bowler hat, which everyone else wears. I don't think he had the intellectual astuteness to divine what he was up to. But I don't know. See, I think all of this points to the fact that it's a bit of a mess. Like It is. It works fine for what it is, but going in, there's no way you you know that this is going to turn into like a fantasy movie, and then that's what it's going to be. And it still stays philosophical, but um, it just the tone of it changes completely, and then it's it wasn't at all what I was expecting. And I don't think anyone going in could say you know oh this is what <laughs> this is what this movie is. I'd never had seen a trailer for this or anything, so I definitely didn't even have a mental image, really. 
of that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it does feel like it comes out of. I don't know. It does the fact that there are any humans at all eight hundred thousand years from now is incredible. I would not. I don't give us that much credit. Yeah, I just don't. Well, I, that's what I, <laughs> I, I joked about while we were watching it. When we, it was twenty thirty seven when like the world went to hell, and uh, like uh, that, that's that's generous. Yeah, I mean that was generous. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. Just I just thought it was funny because even you know, I, I, it'd be nice to think that humans are still going to be around eight hundred thousand years. I I'll, I'm not keeping my fingers crossed for that. But you never know. Yeah. You know, I'm sure a giant asteroid will take us out before then, probably. So let's talk about, uh, so we were talking about how the tone of the film changed when we get to the, you know, the the far future fantasy world. What also changed, Ken, was the music. Oh, yes, it did. Suddenly it was, um, it was like bad Lion King music mixed with Enya. It was. And it kept coming up over and over again. And it just... For me, it was it was so tacky that it completely pulled me out of the out of the movie. And like, I get what they were going for because they were really trying to push the tribal angle of the people in the future. Like, I understand it, but but it was terrible. It was really bad. I mean, it was over the top, and it was very like it was up, and it was also like kind of uplifting and swelling when what you were watching didn't really fit with that either. Mm Hmm. Like, so I know that you and I are both fans of a uh, YouTube channel called Historia Civilis, mm-hmm. and uh, they use some background music in uh, those videos that are often just like some just drums, some some like uh, bongos or that kind of thing. Just something very subtle that still is, has kind of a tribal feel to it. And I think you didn't. I don't think you needed a lot of music during the tribe Absolutely scenes. Absolutely not. You, they they you, should have had less tribe scenes. Which is what I'm getting at because... just more human background noise. Yes. And then action music in the action scenes. That's all they needed. And if you needed actual like tribe music, you know, first it could have come from the tribe. That would have been nice. Yeah, they didn't show anyone playing music. That would have been nice if you if we had seen some of that. Another one they would have could have had been, like a weird half... Half modern, half like futuristic. Sure, you know tribal instruments. Yeah, maybe they had you know like a, you know they can go Ewok style and make, you know drums out of like a Morlock skulls or something. I mean, you know it could have been cool, you know, or just have some nice subtle like the wind machine background music. Could have made music. The wind machines could. They had many wind machines. Could have had some chimes and some. Uh, yeah, so I mean it was bells or something. Just just from like a sound production point of view, it seems like they, that was a huge, huge, huge missed opportunity on that. And I'm gonna guess that 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 our confusion about what this movie is that had to have translated to production. Because if you if you think oh, I'm making a time travel movie, and like all of a sudden you gotta like you gotta do all this tribe weird tribe stuff like futuristic tribe stuff like where do you even start you know so they just went to what they know which is like you said it's basically like lion it sounded like straight up lion king disney to music they yeah they and it was bad it it was bad because it didn't fit the tone of the film it didn't fit the people's situation it didn't fit even necessarily the culture of this of this more uh, aboriginal style tribe, it just didn't mesh at all. I think and, a, a lot of the problem there too is like that tribe doesn't feel realistic. No. Because a tribe that is basically being just raised to slaughter wouldn't have like, why, why would they make art? You know what I'm saying? They wouldn't have time to make art. Like why did like why are they making jewelry? They would not have much time to make jewelry. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, because I mean they so the, you know they get hunted often enough that there are literally no old people in their tribe. I mean they're they're literally just fishing fish in the river and maybe some. I don't. I guess they don't really have crops, right? How not could that we they? See anyway. How could they? I mean they they're constantly on the run in a way, and they live up on cliffs. They wouldn't be able to get to their get to their crops. So I mean they may not even have. Like actual domestication and agriculture, like humans have enjoyed for thousands of years already. 
And it doesn't really, yeah. So I mean, there are a lot of things that just don't really reflect with this tribe. And if we're dwelling on this point too much, keep in mind, this film raced to get to this tribe and then stayed there. Yeah. This, this is the real movie. This is the real movie is, is Alexander, you know, Hardigan hanging out with this tribe yeah. of humans. And basically learning to be okay with this, that like, this is going to be his life now, you know, and this is his higher calling. So, I mean, I'm not saying that it's all bad. I just think that the way it was done is kind of awkward. This culture would have been a culture of, uh, like about death. You know what I'm saying? You would think, but instead they don't talk about death. They don't talk about the people who go missing. They don't talk. They don't even talk openly about the Morlocks. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's all very taboo and hush hush to them, which also uh, is strange. Yeah. I do know that they're uh, the Yanomamo tribes in South America never discuss the, the dead except for one day a year when they talk openly about the dead and then sometimes drink some of the ashy remains, uh, cremated remains of those dead. Hmm. Uh, and that's part of their, part of their ceremony and culture. I'm saying like this in this, but tri- in this tribe, tribe, the people are literally taken away. They're literally taken be away eaten. before their eyes, you yeah. know? And that seems a little different than somebody who just died in, a squabble with another tribe or of old age or of disease or something. And, you know, it's funny too, because the, the young boy, I wasn't sure was a boy at first because all of the males have shaved heads in this tribe. Every single one, except for this young boy who has like long, curly, beautiful hair mm-hmm. and hasn't hit puberty yet. And I like, you know, they finally refer to him as a he. And I'm like, well, wait, that's neither here nor there, but, at what point in this culture do the males start shaving their heads? I don't know. Maybe it's a, a is coming it a, of age thing. Is it a coming of age thing? I don't know. Why do they shave their heads? I don't know. There's I would so love many to know. Questions I, I have a lot of questions. There are no answers to. None. <laughs> Absolutely none. That said, their clothing, their bedding, their huts all look super comfortable. Yeah. Like I would vacation there in a heartbeat. Yeah. It's like... Just sleep on the side of a cliff, like on a bamboo thing with like, you know, beautiful flowers and like flowing drapes and stuff like, yeah, okay. I'm a huge sucker for that, like that aesthetic of just these like catwalks across. Oh, yeah. The the, the gorge. Oh, yeah. And then stuff hanging on the wall. That's amazing. Like, like yeah. hammocks in the tree kind of feeling. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Sign me up. Like I, th- that would be a really interesting place if it weren't for all the other stuff going on. The the Morlock nightmares and then getting getting shot with poison darts and, and sucked under the earth sucked under the earth and then you know eaten like cattle yeah that would be a downside to that for sure yeah <laughs> for most people anyway I'm sure for somebody out there that's their bag they're like yeah let me let me get some of that Morlock time I think the real thing that's hard is that the main character didn't learn enough how's that. Like, all he really learned, okay, so I can't change. There's this one lady I liked that she died, and I'm not going to be able to do anything about it. But why wouldn't he still, I mean, I know why in the end, because he found someone he was interested in, and like, after all the chaos. But like, I mean, at some point. But like, in that in-between times, he didn't learn very much, other than, you know, that the moon is a thing. And he learned, he learned facts about things that occurred, but he did not learn any like real truths or anything. Yes. He didn't really progress into a character until he became an action hero. Oh, that is true. I, th- I think I made the comment that he didn't grow a pair of balls for until 800,000 years later. Right. You know, cause he is, he is, I mean, he is a very, at the end, he's in a very different person than he was at the beginning of the film, but it does almost feel like, that transition is a sudden one. Yeah. I mean, he could hardly even look at people in the eye yeah. kind of in the beginning. Um, and then by the end, he's kind of like the leader or, yes. like the, you know, the the teacher. So I don't know. It's it, it's just hard to like there's something wrong fundamentally with this movie. Not that I didn't like it. But there's something wrong that like that disconnect between the sci-fi movie and the fantasy movie. I think it's just too jarring. And it doesn't give back enough. There wasn't enough meat in the middle of that sandwich. Like if I, if I, if the time travel element wasn't in this movie, 
and it was just the fantasy part of the movie. Do you understand what I'm saying? I wouldn't want to watch just that movie though either. Like that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like that's not a good movie. Yeah, it's it's not enough, and neither is neither is the you know the earlier portion of the film by itself. It is a flawed movie. I mean, I can't help but agree. There's just not enough. We don't even see Emma enough to really uh, sympathize. You know, like, like the sympathy and emotion you feel for her death and his his peril or his his uh, his anguish is superficial. Because she's not even around long enough for us to get to know her. He's not even been on screen long enough for us to get to know him at all. Mm -hmm. And even just a little more of that would have been good. A little, I mean, this was only a 90 minute film. If they had made it like a full two hours, you know, maybe that would be 30 minutes too long for some people. But I really feel like if they had made this a longer film and had added just a couple more scenes somewhere, you know, how about like, uh, you know, how about another scene with Emma to establish a little more uh, of, of the importance of her in his life that would drive him to actually devote years to build a time machine? I think that's the other flaw, too, is that they only give him one question and it comes right from the beginning. And so he doesn't have any room to progress as far as like all he cares about is why can't I go back and change this? Yeah, because he only uh, he only goes. We only see that he goes back once. Right. We only see that he goes back once, and then after that first failed attempt, he then just deduces that I can't change the past at all. Yeah. And I could watch her. I could go back a thousand times and watch her die a thousand times. Even just one more scene of him attempting to save her life mm-hmm. would have been enough for us to conclude that. You know, he there's something that he can't change. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like they cemented that enough. Yeah, I don't know. I'm am I on? No, it's like that. That is absolutely spot on as far as like that plot line goes. You know, but also they didn't give him enough room to grow because there's only one question he has. If they wanted to really uh, give him development, it should have been he was learning something different from each time period as he traveled forward. You know, that culminated in him kind of compressing all that information into like developing as a person. Sure. Yeah, because there could have been other, you know, other questions involved with that question that they could have been addressed in each encounter. But that would be really good writing, though. I think the problem is that they spent a lot of money on the fantasy portion. Yeah. And so that's why we needed to spend a lot of time there. There was no budget left for other encounters along the way. Because if you think about it, I mean, future 2030 was a lot of computer graphics and then one street, which was then the same street in the next future. Yeah. Which was then, that was it. That was it. Yeah. In the library. Yeah. But that's just one interior that we use kind of again and in the, the future. And the library was, I guess, I th- it was like a courthouse in Riverside, California. Right. So, I mean, all they did was put up some glass for the hollow emitters or whatever. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, that wasn't anything anything fancy or expensive so i, I know from a production yeah. standpoint that's why we oh, end yeah, up they, with what we have yeah they definitely they definitely save the money on that i oh and then there's uh some of the some of the issues of some of the other effects the the morlocks themselves like the the hunter morlocks looked pretty bad mm-hmm. and apparently stan winston studios had come up with a really great design that was more true to what was described in the original book which apparently was more ape-like. And at some point they were kind of overruled and then they were given the, we were given this thing where it's kind of hard to describe what it looks like, but it's almost like a dog mixed with a, some kind of primate. And it's just kind of weird looking. And, and also kind of, skeletal. Kind and of. kind of skeletal in the facial uh, structure. And it just looks weird. But then the body looks like Sasquatch. The, the the body is like, it's like Mike Tyson's Sasquatch. Like yeah. these things are ripped like kangaroos, mm-hmm. you know? And they have like the face of like a dead ape, I guess is the best way I could put it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's weird looking, but not scary. And especially once you see them moving, they look silly. They do. That's why, that's really what was really hard to take seriously. And you even said like right away, like if this looked better, this might actually be like, suspenseful or like scary you know you might this might actually impact me 
But instead, it's just like, well, this is this these they, they, silly Muppet monsters. They are, just don't look good. Yeah. You know, it just was a bu- guys in rubber suits. Yep. Which is a shame because Dan Winston Studios, they brought us the Terminator effects for the first couple Terminator films. And I think some of the other ones, uh, they did the creature effects on the film Aliens. Okay. Another fantastic film. You know, that's a great place to go for your special effects if you need something like this. And well, they didn't. And this is what we get. Mm. So that was too bad because I, I, they needed to make it less human looking. Because it, like you said, it was just obviously people in suits where they were trying to push this narrative of like, these are alternate human evolution. You know, this is some kind of weird forced evolution Yeah, that they've been doing underground. And uh, they end up just looking like, you know, like you kind of alluded to, like Mordor. Some of them just look like straight up orcs. Yeah. But not even good orcs. No. You know, like if they actually looked like real orcs from like Lord of the Rings, right. I'd be like, awesome. Yep. These are not those at all. No. Not even by a stretch. Mm-mm. So, yeah. So that that fell flat there. Oh, God. What, what else can we butcher on this film? Yeah. I think that, okay, the, the characters they introduced in the beginning needed to be brought back in somehow other than just the scene at the end. Yeah. They needed to factor more into the journey because really all that beginning stuff just didn't matter. Let's like see, you uh, could have had a man out of time story. Yeah, you with could an have. even shorter beginning. You Why could did have. we need to know the housekeeper? Why did we need to know the, 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 it didn't really add anything. So like, you know, so, so Mr. Philby, you know, it's like his, his one friend in like his normal contemporary time. Philby doesn't help him build the machine. He doesn't stop him or even inspire him to travel. All he is there for is just to be a guy there to talk lines. See, and that's why I think that those must have been holdovers from the original story. Where they're like, have. well, we have to put these characters in because yeah. this was. Because I would imagine, and this is, you know, I haven't read the book, but. I would imagine in the original, yes, that they, they probably had more important roles at some point, mm. you know, if not in the rest of the book, but at least in that beginning. I mean, there's just no reason to care about uh, Philby. There's no reason to care about the housekeeper. You could not show them, give their lines to other throwaway characters that would not make any difference at all. You could cut probably 90% of their existing lines and it wouldn't have changed anything. And like the, the problem with that too, though, is like, I liked all that beginning stuff. Like the beginning of this movie, what? the period piece. I loved it, but I also thought it was going to go somewhere. Right. You thought all of that was going to matter. I thought all of that was going to matter and it didn't. Yeah. It was ma- It was set up like it mattered, but it didn't. But it was kind of a throwaway backstory in the end, just to get to the fact that like, he's sad because his fiance died and he wants to fix it. Yeah, and all that those two characters really show you is that in the end, the two people who actually knew him well were all too quick to just be like, eh, well, he's gone. You can come work for me, and all right, see ya. Yep. I mean, that's... Uh... And, like, yeah, it's it's more done out of, like, a hope way as far as his friend goes. Like, his friends, his friends, like, all right, well, whatever he did, he, he went off to a better place or he's doing what he should do. And, like, I'm going to honor that memory. So, you know, he had a good take on it, at least. But, yeah, it, it definitely, from our point of view, it comes across a little funny. It really does. Like, oh, my my wife and I will need a housekeeper to take care of so-and-so. <laughs> Poaching the, your, I know, your best like, friend's help after they like, He's just... been gone a whole week, okay? <laughs> I, you know... <sighs> you know, there are family members in my immediately family... In my immediate family... I don't see in a week. Mm-hmm. You don't see me being like, oh man, I haven't seen, you know, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen Will in a while. Oh, hey, how's this say? Is this car for sale? If if, say, if that was the case, you would, uh, you would have a whole different living environment. Oh, geez, really? You know, I know, man. That's <laughs> just, it just cracks, uh, that just cracked me up. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, uh, you know, for most extraneous character, who actually had more than just a couple lines. I'd probably would just say the housekeeper. Mm-hmm. I loved her. She was sassy. She had the right attitude. 
Absolutely did not matter at all. She was great for the for the for those scenes. You know, all the people great. worked really well and uh just was good to show that world. Yeah. And in fact, I'll even say that there's a second one, a second most useless character. It was the uh when he first wakes up in fantasy land. Mm-hmm. And it's like Mara's brother or other oh, yeah. guy. Grumpy tribes guy? Just grumpy tribe guy. Pouty McPout face with the shaved head and the chest tattoos. He's like, ugh. And he wants, you know, all he's there for is just to give like side eye to, to, to Alexander and just kind of, you know, regard him with suspicion. Yep. And, and that's all he does. And that's all he does because even when. Because he's the guy that Alexander asks, like, why don't you guys fight? And he's basically like, well, we have to piss ourselves in fear. That's that, just how it is. That's how the world is. You know, that's the other thing. We, we, that I hadn't really contemplated. I, I, I hadn't, couldn't put it into words till just a second. But he didn't even, like, advance. Like, he couldn't even get the other people to follow him. You know what no. I'm saying? Or help him out or anything. No. No, he went underground. By, well, the little boy wanted to help him. You know. Yeah, the little boy. The little boy had, doesn't know had, any better. <laughs> the little boy had bigger cojones, than and the his other mom ones. was, you know, captured. Yeah, so he had proper motivation, but uh, yeah, he couldn't even motivate them to to change their ways until after he'd already solved their problem. Yeah. So, so basically, so yeah, so we so we see. I, I wish I could find the guy's name. There's just so many background characters and Hunter Morlocks listed here. I can't even. Figure I, it out. I, but, I recognize him. I think I've seen him as a, a tertiary character in something else. I've, I've I've seen the the actor in some things, and as an actor, he's fine. The character sucks though. Yeah, because the character is basically just he just shows up to be grumpy, and be suspicious of the new guy, and act like oh we'll throw him into the river, you know if he's no good. And then when it actually counts, it's like well hey why don't you do something? It's like well it's because we're chicken shit. We can't do anything because we're quaking in fear. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and it kind of basically completely devalues his earlier intimidation. Right. It's like, what would he have done? Nothing. Exactly. He just, he just would do violence anyway. He just would have, he just would have like, he just would have pouted off in the corner and just like kept looking over his shoulder once in a while. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's like, no wonder why the Morlocks are kicking their ass. <laughs> I will note that I did like the Uber Morlock. Just Jeremy so I can say Uber, yeah. Uber Morlock again. Uber Morlock. Um, I like that character as far as like that. Like they finally started tying it all together through that character. Um, for, for the sci-fi lover in me, that was more of what I just not necessarily that scene, but that kind of dialogue, that level of dialogue mm-hmm. is what I want more of in my films. More conversations about. And like more interesting things, you know, yeah, and like as far as like it's unique too, and that like the bad guy wanted to defeat the good guy by just letting him go, yeah, like that was that was I thought that was pretty interesting, like you know you can just have your life back, you know, like I thought that was a good way to drive home the point they were getting to, um so like what they did wasn't incompetent, and like it did have a purpose and direction, yeah. But it just didn't all fit together right. Like, the, the pieces weren't all matching up. This film just, it almost really works. Mm-hmm. You know, they just needed to fix a couple things. And it would have, you know, I mean, they could have fixed a dozen things and it would have been fantastic. Mm-hmm. If they had fixed three or four things, it would have been really good. Yeah. And it's just too bad they just couldn't get, they were so close and they just didn't quite get there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it, it suffers the most from just spending so much time in the one time period that is the least uh, interesting, I guess. It is the least interesting to me because it's basically just Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that movie. Yeah. And I've seen Lord of the Rings. And I wanted to see, I went into this hoping I was going to see something different. Mm-hmm. I didn't see anything new. I didn't see anything different in this film. I've seen period pieces mm-hmm. in Victorian eras. I've seen what's basically the modern era every single day. I have seen that version of a future. And if you're going to take us, I, don't know, I just don't feel like uh, their situation and what was actually going on was really, 
radically different enough to make that interesting mm-hmm. or to make it unique necessarily. So that for me, I guess, is the is the big downfall because, you know, it's the time machine. You know, that kind of fills your head with a sense of wonder and awe of like, oh, wow, what what's going to be in this film that's going to really blow my mind? There's nothing mind blowing in this film except really for that one CGI scene where they transform the city and like, over a century. I know what when, when I watch a time travel movie, the thing you really like, the thing that really draws you in is the philosophical angle of it. Yeah. And I even also kind of mentioned while we're watching it, like, what's the causality going to be? Because, you know, he travels back to a point where he also is, which never comes up. But he did travel back in time to where he was also there. And the movie wasn't anything about that. So that just, you know, it didn't matter. But um, none of that kind of interesting time travel philosophy stuff came up. And what philosophy was in the movie was basically just like, what if... You know, the answer to what if and the answer to, uh, like, why can't things be changed? Just going back a moment, you said how, like, uh, the, the interesting time travel stuff wasn't really discussed. That killed me when at the library, you know, he's, he's like, trying to find information on practical application of time travel. Mm-hmm. And he gets laughed off. And I was really hoping maybe in the next scene there would be something and there's nothing. Mm-hmm. It never comes up again. Which, if he was actually uh, uh, the library that knows all this stuff, they would know that there's a whole bunch of practical, like, right now, there's a whole bunch of practical applications for, not necessarily time travel, but adjacent subjects. Sure. You know what I mean? Multiverse theory. There's, there's all kinds of... Quantum there's, quantum theories. There's all kinds, you know, which, at the at the time that this movie was made in 2002... There were still gravity, time dilation. There were still plenty of of theoretical and hypothetical papers that were written about this subject long before that time and certainly to that present. And it's just, it it just felt like a very, you know, like I work at 7 Eleven and I know more than you Mm -hmm. attitude from the librarian in this case. You know, it's like my, my ignorance is better than your knowledge. That was the vibe I got in that exchange. It's like, oh, science fiction. That's why it would have been much more interesting. I mean, even if he had that initial reaction, sure. it would have been much more interesting if the, if the librarian had, had been helpful in some way. It really would To have. give him something to point to instead of just in desperation. Oh, I'm just going to go in more into the future. I guess this these people are still dumb. Like, yeah, like the guy went to, it out yet. The guy went to the library, talked to a, a, a sentient artificial intelligence interface that was connected to the database of every data bank in the world and got nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's either bad programming or really bad writing, Ken. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Perhaps both. Perhaps both. So on the whole, I, I would recommend seeing the film once. I mean, like, this is not a film I'd ever need to see twice, but I enjoyed it for the, the one time that I saw it. I would recommend it with the caveat. That if I was actually telling someone about this movie, I would say just up front so you know, like it's a fantasy movie. Like there's science fiction elements to it, but really it's more of a fantasy movie because that's where you spend the bulk of your time. So you'd have to be in the right mood. As a Guy Pierce fan, I pretty much, I, I probably have seen 20 of his films over the years. Mm-hmm. Anytime I've seen something with him in it, I usually have watched it. Mm-hmm. And no exception, I enjoyed this his work in this too. I, I would say it's it's worth watching just to see him as the total cringe lord in the for, uh, opening act of this movie. That's definitely he is plus. so cringeworthy in the best way. He really is, and I, you know, and it's and it's nice seeing his particular arc and seeing. I just think he's a fantastic actor, and he's Australian by birth. Mm. You know, he's always been excellent with his with his dialects and his his accents. Um, he's just he's just really a very solid actor that never quite got his due. Like, he should have been a, a, a solid A-lister in my book. He just never quite got there. He got a lot of... He got a lot of B-movie roles. He never really... With the exception of Memento and a couple of others, he never really he's, hit the peaks that he should have been at. He's been in a lot of other stuff more recently, but he's been a villain in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like I, I kind of mentioned that beforehand. Most of the modern movies I remember him from were things like, uh, God, what was that movie uh, with the, the the 
kind of sequel to Alien, the uh, Prometheus. Prome- oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the bad guy in that. He's been the bad guy in one of the Marvel movies. Yeah, but he's not really he's not really like a lead in that. He's always just more of a peripheral. I'm just saying, you know? If you're you're one of the if you're the the villain in a Marvel movie, like that's pretty big. I'm just saying, that, as far fair. as cultural relevance goes, Disney is like the top of the whatever. That's fair. Top of the heap. That's fair. But it's definitely not like you said, it's not the the lead role. I'm just saying 20 years ago, he should have been doing some bigger movies and some better movies than than he was either able to do or was given the opportunity to do. Mm-hmm. He just, he should have been, he should have been one of, one of the big ones. Yeah. Kind of like Gary Oldman, another, another uh, all time favorite of mine, you know? Yeah. So it goes, you know, he can't use a time travel machine to fix that, I guess. <laughs> we have that answer now. We have that answer now. Thank you for tuning in uh, to Complimentary Cinema here on the O&M Stockroom with your host, Brian McGarry. And Ken O'Malley. Uh, new episodes every Wednesday. Uh, if you have any uh, suggestions for something that maybe you'd like to see covered, please uh, feel free to leave a comment down below if you were listening on YouTube. Uh, what are some of the other platforms people can catch us on, Ken? You can also always find us at omstockroom.com and facebook.com slash omstockroom. Sweet. And we have links to like Apple podcasts and things there. You can pretty much hear us all over the place. Uh, I guess that's all for now. Thank you for tuning in and we will see you next Wednesday with a brand new episode. (laughs) 